Welcome to your province, your premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. And just a reminder, the show is being broadcast on 770 CHQR right here in Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Ched. For the next couple of Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Jason Kenney about some of the issues of the day. But once again, this is your opportunity to ask questions of the Premier. Whatever's on your mind... Hey, it's a one-on-one opportunity. Just remember, keep it short and respectful. And please keep those text messages short as well. We do have the text lines in Calgary, 403-974-8255 is one of the phone numbers. Or you can text in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. And across the province, 1-800-563-7770. Now, there are just two weeks left until the vote to replace Premier Jason Kenney. The United Conservative Party will pick its new leader October 6th, and that person will become the next Premier of Alberta. So once again, it means that today and next Saturday at this time will be the last two times that Premier Jason Kenney joins us on your province, your Premier. Welcome back, Mr. Premier. Great to be here, and I'm sorry I, I missed a, a slot because I was uh, overseas, but great to be back. Yeah, well, a lot has happened. Uh, it's been about a month or so uh, since you were able to join us. Our show in late August canceled because you were off to uh, South Korea or on some uh, investment opportunities. Then, of course, there were the government protocols that occurred following right. the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. Uh, you made a personal trip to England to pay your respects, joining an estimated quarter of a million people who filed past the Queen's coffin at Westminster Hall. And then it was back to business. Well, absolutely. Uh, given her every single day. And we we were uh, quiet through, of course, the morning period, but uh, continued to get work done. And uh, the good economic news continues for Alberta. I mean, we're all struggling with inflation. But uh, we continue to lead the country in economic growth. I saw tremendous interest in major multi-billion dollar investments uh, from uh, some of the largest companies in Asia during my investment tour uh, in Korea. And, um, you know, we just announced this past week uh, a game-changing, historic uh, announcement for Alberta, Alberta's economy, for manufacturing, especially for aviation, the new de Havilland Field Aviation Campus that will be east of Calgary, Wheatland County, uh, a billion-dollar-plus investment that will create at least 1,500 high-paying jobs. Yeah. And I can tell you, even while I was in that queue overseas, Wayne, at the, uh, for, to pay respects to uh, our late queen, um, I did, I think, four or five new, uh, tele- conference calls, one of which was on another potential major aviation industry investment that we hope to land in the next couple of weeks. So I'll be working right up till uh, to the last minute. All right. Well, you know, that uh, that De Havilland announcement, I mean, that's is certainly going to have a, a direct impact uh, on each and every uh, person in Alberta in terms of the general economy. But a lot of folks are questioning something that you know, is more at home. And that's that, uh, well, given the 7% inflation rate, that's the, the government's uh, move to uh, once again reinstate the fuel tax. Now, some, there's a call to have that scrapped permanently. And back in, I think it was April, that you, you announced that this would be evaluated every quarter. Mm-hmm. So given that we've got this uh, relatively high inflation rate still, and the fact that the government has a $13 billion announced surplus, should this be delayed, or are we going to continue moving forward? Well, we're just implementing the policy that we announced, uh, Wayne, which was to reduce the fuel tax if, if and when uh, oil prices were particularly high. Yeah. Because Alberta benefits. One unique thing about Alberta's treasury is that it goes up when gas prices go up. We don't want people in this province... Uh, being penalized effectively when, in fact, there is a fiscal benefit with higher gas prices. Now, gas prices have plummeted. Um, 
where, you know, a, a few weeks ago, we were at $120 West Texas Intermediate. Now it's trading below $80. Now, I remind you that our the basis of our balanced budget projection for this year is based on $70 oil, and we're not much above that right now. So, look, yes, we, we have projected based on, I think, a projection of $84 WTI for the year, based on our first quarter projection, uh, a good surplus, but we can't take that to the bank. And I don't want us to end up all of a sudden jerking right back into the red as a province. So we've got to be careful about this, which is why we said if oil prices are uh, above $90 a barrel, We'll, we'll we'll scrap the fuel tax for the next quarter. If they're above eighty, if they're between eighty and ninety dollars a barrel, uh, we will uh, take off uh, uh, half the gas tax. So it's, right. it's it's still the lowest gas taxes in the country. To be clear, prices have come down. We are providing relief on natural gas prices and on electricity um, and other benefits as well. But we've got that reliance still, and it's government after government has said we're going to try to ease our reliance on the oil uh, patch and you know because it's a boom and bust economy uh, when when the oil patch does well so does alberta's uh, coffers and when the oil patch doesn't do well we kind of tend to shrink and there's that old bumper sticker uh, what was it back in the 80s please god give me one more oil boom i promise not to piss it all away next time and it's got to be awfully darned uh, tempting when you get these surpluses to to make these kinds of hands out everybody's got a handout so where do you stop? Where do you draw the line? And, and when are we going to ease our reliance on the oil patch? <laughs> well, first of all, you know, our economy is a lot more diverse, a lot less reliant on the oil patch than it was um, 30 and 40 years ago. Uh, oil and gas as a share of our economy is now typically below 20%. It used to be 30 to 35% okay. back in the day. So that's good. And that's why things like the de Havilland announcement are so important. Diversification does not happen simply by accident, right? It requires the right policy uh, and, and a constant aggressive efforts to attract diversifying investment. And it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. But well, look, we've got a booming tech sector. Edmonton has the fastest growing high tech sector in North America right now. We have a booming film and television sector. We have uh, a, gr a growing manufacturing, and the, the Havilland announcement underscores that. Forestry and ag... Um, uh, if, uh, you know, but the big ticket items, and I was speaking to Alberta municipalities about this, uh, are just on the horizon. Uh, $18 billion in new petrochemical investments that we've announced, $12 billion in new hydrogen projects. Those will probably be more like $50 billion plus in capital investment over the next decade, plus carbon capture utilization and storage, probably at least $30 billion in new investment in that, which is connected to low-emitting hydrogen and petrochemicals. Uh, all of this is going to, I, I would argue, almost transform the Alberta economy, guaranteeing long-term demand for our natural gas, but diversifying what we produce and uh, our government revenues at the same time. All right. Let's get right to the phones. We've got uh, a backup of calls here. Diane has been holding the longest. We've kind of addressed this off the top, but uh, Diane, you're on with Premier Kenny. Go ahead. Hi, Mr. Premier. Um as of yesterday, all of the gas stations in Calgary raised their price seven cents already. So this morning, my question for you is because they jumped the gun when you said they were supposed to be doing that next week at October 1st, are you going to allow them to increase it again another four to seven cents? Because right now people can't afford it in Calgary. We're all shocked when we're getting up and seeing the gouging 
and there was no other word for it. When they jumped the gun, when you said it yesterday, they all went and changed their signs, and they're all seven cents higher today. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I did not see that, and so I'll take your word for it, Diane. Um, I, uh, if that's true, that that's really uh, frustrating and regrettable. You, you know, we don't uh, we don't set the price. Um, all we said is the gas tax, and we've we've uh, we, we've continued to pause half of the provincial fuel tax. It's still the lowest provincial fuel tax in Canada, and our fuel prices are lower than the rest of the country. But we will monitor that. When we did see, there was about a two-week period in uh, June when we seemed to have our prices were creeping up. And that wasn't happening to the rest of the country. We put them on notice that we were going to, we, we asked the competition commissioner to look into this. Um, it looked, it, it, I think what happened at that time, there was a, a back, a supply chain problem with uh, biofuels that was causing a short-term increase in price. So we will take a look at this, but you're right. This is not the... Um, Small restoration of a part of the fuel tax does not take effect until the beginning of next month. All right, we're going to take a break right now and get uh, right to the phone lines and texts when we come back. And we're going to start with Al. So, Al, if you're on hold, I know you got a great question there. We'll get to you when we come back. I'm Wayne Nelson, and we will be back with Premier Jason Kenney. More of your calls and texts on Your Province, Your Premier. Welcome back. Your Province, Your Premier airs... This Saturday and again next Saturday for sure at this same time on 770 CHQR here in Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Chad. I'm Wayne Nelson. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Jason Kenney one-on-one. Let's get right to the phones. I promised that Al would be next. And so, Al, you are next. You're on with Premier Kenney. Go ahead, sir. Yes, good morning, Premier. Regarding hospital funding, what are the problems with uh, paying hospitals for each type of surgery that they do? For example, basic heart or hip surgery could be one week. Uh, any additional uh, problems or procedures could have an additional rate. This uh, would sort of give the hospital some incentive to do a few more operations. What, are your, uh, what do you foresee as being some of the problems? Yeah. That's a very good question, Alan. In fact, we're doing something exactly like that through what we call our, our surgical initiative, uh, where we are uh, expanding by... Uh, we're doubling, doubling the number of surgeries uh, that will be performed in what we call chartered surgical facilities. And these are privately owned and operated uh, surgical facilities that are completely compliant with all of the regulations and, uh, uh, you know, College of Physicians and Surgeons uh, regulations, for example. But um, as opposed to a, a virtual monopoly for surgeries in the government-run hospitals. We're trying to create more uh, more, more options for those surgeries to be performed. And, and, and of course, those surgeons who work in those charter facilities, uh, they are paid on a... On a um, uh, their compensation is based on the procedure and its complexity. Uh, but because they're, uh, they often own the facility, they have an incentive to operate it more efficiently and do more procedures to make greater use of the operating rooms. One of the problems in the government hospitals is because we're always under budget constraints uh, and there are collective bargaining uh, agreements with uh, support services unions, uh, those surgical suites very typically are underutilized. But in the privately owned uh, chartered surgical facilities, they have an incentive, as you suggest, to perform more surgeries. And we so we can get more surgeries done at lower cost. And to be clear, 100% of the surgeries that will be performed in our growing number of chartered facilities are and will be 
publicly insured by Medicare. So this is, this is what I call internal choice and competition, get more surgeries done, lower cost, reducing the wait times, um, and that's good for everybody. All right, related text message just came in. Uh, this is from Calgary. I need a knee replacement. I'm told it's a four-year wait. Wow. The pain is bad, can't work. Can you use the surplus to fix the broken health care system? Why is it if I pay cash to have the surgery done out of province, I can have it done within three months? And yeah. why are 20 Saskatchewan knee surgeries per month approved uh, while Alberta residents continue to wait? Yeah, that, that is an, exactly on point. And I'm sorry uh, it's, <laughs> to, to you and others who are waiting, uh, particularly for, for joint surgeries. Um, you know, we were elected on this commitment to get our surgical wait times down to the accept, clinically acceptable standard, in part through this huge injection of money where we've put over a billion dollars into the surgical initiative. Unfortunately, uh, we got pushed back from our goal because of COVID. Due to COVID, as you know, at various points, our hospitals were uh, filling up. Well, we had to we had to postpone tens of thousands of surgeries to to repurpose those staff to deal with intensive care uh, for COVID and other patients. And so here and everywhere across Canada, and I think around the world, we've seen surgical wait times grow through the COVID period. We're getting back on top of that. And as I say, um, the one area that we're really focusing for in the surgical initiative is in areas like uh, orthopedic surgery, um, uh, joint, joint uh, knee and hip surgeries, for example. And um, I, I tell you, we have explored uh, doing what Saskatchewan's doing and buying uh, surgery packages from outside the province. Uh, it's, so far, the economics don't, don't make sense on that. But we, are, uh, we have put over a billion dollars targeted into the surgical initiative. Just this week, the uh, province announced a trio of advisory panels to advise the government on how to improve access to primary care doctors. Uh, that's expected spring 2023. Some, some early criticism that that's uh, just prior to the uh, provincial election. Uh, Friends of Medicare says, hey, look, we don't need another task force. We've had all these kinds of studies done already. What's your response? Well, the Alberta Medical Association welcomed this. I mean, Friends of Medicare, let's be clear, that that's just a front group for unions who want to maintain a total monopoly uh, on, in a system that's not working. So I, I really don't t take their commentary ter terribly seriously. Um, uh, they're more focused on... on, on uh, protecting unions as opposed to the best interests of patients. But I think you would agree, though, that the health care system just isn't working. Yes, I would. Not, it, it, it wasn't working, hasn't been working for a long time. Yeah. Like my father spent uh, over 12 hours in emergency unattended to, uh, what was it, about 12 years ago, uh, died in hospital later that day with, uh, with uh, where tests hadn't even been done. And uh, so I, I understand what people are going through, and it's... It, 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 it frankly it angers me. It angers me in a province where we are spending far more in healthcare than we ever have in our history. We've increased the baseline budget by three billion dollars. There was, of course, billions more spent, extra money spent during COVID. Um, the healthcare inflation continues to run way higher than 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 the general inflation in the economy. Um, and Alberta is the second most expensive system in Canada. Canada is one of the most expensive publicly funded systems in the world. So it's hard to argue that it's about a lack of money. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's, uh, on that note, let's go to the phones. Uh, Lorraine has got a medical question. Lorraine, you're on with Premier Kenny. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering about the lack of anesthesiologists in Alberta and probably all over Canada. 
that's really affecting any surgical beds that might become available. I'm just wondering how you are planning to go about recruiting more uh, of them for our province, Jason. Thank you, uh, Lorraine. We are doing everything we can to recruit um, an additional healthcare personnel. You're right, there is a shortage uh, in a number of, of specialties, um, and, but also nurses. And so you may have seen our Alberta is calling campaign. That is, uh, we're focusing on recruiting uh, people from across Canada in um, healthcare professions as well as, as tradespeople and information technology workers, but, but more generally across the economy. Um, we always have efforts to recruit from, from overseas, people who have relevant uh, training where they can get to work right away and get certified in Canada. Um, but my understanding is that there is a global shortage in terms of anesthesiologists, and so there's a huge competition. Um, uh, but, um, but thank you for raising that. And uh, I, I, I think we have a very good offer, offer, if you will, for anesthesiologists and other uh, healthcare professionals and that we have some of the highest compensation, at least in Canada, but also much lower uh, taxes for these relatively high net, uh, high income people that makes it makes a, a big financial difference, but also much lower cost of living. So we're trying to get the word out about that, but uh, you're right to raise it. All right. Uh, a couple of text messages in from Edmonton. The first one, uh, what are your thoughts, Mr. Premier, on only one doctor on staff at the Devon Hospital. He runs a private office on the west end of Edmonton. So when he goes, the emergency is closed at the Devon Hospital. Yeah, I don't have information on every one of our 107 hospitals, so I can't really comment on that particular situation, except to say that uh, a lot of rural hospitals uh, do have um, uh, local physicians who are have a family practice and who spend extra time covering things like emergency uh, at the local hospital. And it's it's just, unfortunately, it's just the reality yep. that we have. Look, Alberta has many other provinces in the 1990s shut down a lot of their rural hospitals. Saskatchewan shut down, I think, nearly 50% of their rural hospitals under the Romano NDP government uh, because of the costs, to be honest. Alberta's never done that. We've always maintained what I think is the mo most robust, with the possible exception in Newfoundland, with all their airport communities. Uh, we have the most robust network of rural hospitals. But by nature, um, it, there's always been a challenge in retention and recruitment of, of physicians in, in rural areas. We have very generous incentives, and we're going to keep working uh, through AHS with those local communities to ensure that those local uh, rural hospitals are properly staffed. All right. Terry texted in from Edmonton, says, Mr. Kenny, fire all the health managers and rebuild the system. All of Albertans are steaming mad. Well, um, I'll just point out that... Look, I, I, I'm not happy with the problems that we have in the system. As I said, my own, my own family experienced a tragedy uh, 12 years ago in this extremely well-funded system. And it, it, it often seems to be inexplicable that we had... Now, there are unique challenges we have to understand, Wayne, right now that come out of COVID, right? So a couple of things are going on. We've hit the silver tsunami. We've hit the baby boomers are retiring in growing numbers. And COVID seems to have accelerated that. And uh, COVID also caused a lot of burnout amongst healthcare workers. So you take that burnout, you add on top of it the increased wait times because of surgical cancellations that were necessary to make room for patients during COVID spikes. You add on top of that the accelerated retirements from baby boomers uh, retiring. And you have, and, and you take on top of that the fact that the Canadian 
healthcare system has always been rationed because it's a single, we, we, it's a monopoly system. Yeah. And you take all of those problems and you have these problems right across the country. Now, in terms of blowing up the system and restructuring it, we've done that. How many times? In the early 90s, we had over 100 local hospital boards. Ralph Klein blew those up and created one mega provincial board. The province, Albertans said, that's not working. So seven years later, we created seven regional boards. And, And then we said, well, that's not working. We have all these problems. Same problems we're experiencing now. So they blew that up and they went to one mega board, Alberta Health Services. So, you know, we could keep playing musical chairs organizationally, waste a lot of time and resources, uh, or just focus on practical solutions like recruiting additional healthcare staff to meet the people who are retiring, and that's what we're trying to do. All right. Let's get to the phones. Lorna is calling in from Edmonton. She's got another uh, hot topic issue that uh, is getting a lot of uh, attention lately and uh, was raised at the uh, AUMA convention this week by, I believe, uh, NDP leader Rachel Notley. Lorna, go ahead. You're on with Premier Kenny. Uh, Premier Kenny, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm calling because I heard you have concerns about the um, law and order in our society. And I have a concern because what I see happening is that there's law and order for the citizens, but our federal government on numerous occasions, example, SNC-Lavalon, um, when they interfered with the Justice uh, Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, and they brought that yeah. so that we're dealing with uh, SNC-Lavalon again, one of the most corrupt country, uh, companies on the planet. And then we had the, their um, We Charity shut down, and then the Emergencies Act, the overreach of the power by the Prime Minister. So it seems like there's an uh, a, a non, no... Um, controls for our government, our federal government, especially when the Jagmeet Singh, the NDP leader, is supporting this government. And our rule of law institutions in this country seem to be rendered helpless to to hold this uh, federal government to some kind of an account. Mm -hmm. My question is, how as a citizen am I supposed to have um, confidence in this a seemingly broken rule of law system that we're presently experiencing. There's a very well put concern, Lorna, and I share much of that concern. Um, you know, the, the, the answer is that it, notionally our parliament holds the government accountable on behalf of the people, and that should especially be the case in a minority parliament, which we have now. But you're quite right, the NDP has sold out uh, to the, the Trudeau government. Why? Because apparently they're afraid of an election. They're not willing to uh, put some of these issues to the people. Um, but I will tell you this, uh, Alberta's government, our provincial government, is wherever we can, standing up for um, people's uh, constitutional rights and the rule of law. For example, that is why we are the only province in Canada suing the feds over their invocation of the Emergencies Act. Now, of course, the, that Emergencies Act is, is no longer in, in effect, but we still need the courts to rule on what I think was a completely unjustified application of what is like one step away from martial law. And uh, there was no rationale for it. So we're in court suing them on that and on other things where we think they are overstepping their bounds and violating the rule of law. Like, for example, our recent challenge to the uh, f- ridiculous federal plastics ban, which lists plastic products as toxins, the equivalent of arsenic, which is ridiculous. We, we're, that's why we, we challenged them on their carbon tax. We, we are challenging them in court on 
uh, the No More Pipelines Law, Bill C-69. We won a critical 4 to 1 victory at the Alberta Appeal Court on that. So Alberta will continue to be forward-leaning in defending the Constitution against uh, federal overreach. But on some of these more political issues, like the... Um, you know, uh, We Charity, for example, That's it's uh, shocking to me that the NDP has not only uh, basically sold out and given Trudeau's uh, government three guaranteed years in power, but they actually shut down some parliamentary committees that were investigating some of these issues. So they need to be held politically accountable for that. Now, I thought Lorna was going to be addressing the provincial police force issue. What's the status of that right now? Because there's been a lot of controversy, whether we should be having one to replace the RCMP, whether we should not. Where do things stand right now? Well, where it stands is that uh, we are engaging municipalities, First Nations and others uh, to hear their views and also share information. Uh, and we're engaging the federal government about this because uh, when the, the RCMP contract to be our provincial police service is not... Uh, a permanent agreement. It expires at the end of this decade, and they have given us and other provinces a very clear signal that they are looking to exit provincial contract policing. The RCMP has. Yeah. Though, no, the, the federal government The has. federal government, yeah. Uh, and uh, because, you know, there, the RCMP, there, there is no police service in the world which has, I believe, such a huge and complex mandate. Everything from uh, highway uh, in, in patrol in in rural much of rural Canada, all the way up to complex counterterrorism and 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 uh, white collar uh, crime sure. and everything in between. So, uh, you, you, and the feds do put in a subsidy that they 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 end up owning a lot of problems while paying a disproportionate share of the cost. So uh, that is why several provinces, including BC and all party committee, including the NDP, voted to seriously explore. Uh, provincializing their police services like Ontario, Quebec, and Newfoundland. Yeah. And we think that we could get better community policing where we could hire local folks, keep them in the communities where they grew up, where they understand people. We could have civilian oversight, which we lack with the RCMP in some notorious cases that's come to light. We could have greater Indigenous involvement. Just yesterday, we signed an agreement with the feds and the uh, uh, Siksika, First Na Blackfoot First yes, Nation. Yes, they're going to be having their own uh, police force. Yeah, we're going to be, we're expanding on reserve tribal police services because that's community policing. So if Edmonton and Calgary get community policing and Siksika and uh, the Gainai, the and blood, I believe uh, Sutina has uh, uh, police uh, as yes. well. Yes. So if some First Nations have that, and 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 several of our municipal communities and several provinces do. Why don't people in the rest of Alberta benefit from the same kind of community policing? So we're going to continue to discuss this with people who are interested. All right. Justin has been holding here for about uh, 25 minutes, and uh, he's got a question. Uh, Justin calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Justin. You're on with Premier Kenny. Good morning, Premier Kenny. Good morning. Thank you for your service as Premier over the last three years, and thank you for your moving tribute to Her Late Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II in the legislature and for, and for holding the provincial uh, memorial service to her. My question is, what is your future now that you're not going to be Premier in a couple weeks? Well, I, I, I don't know, Justin. If you have any ideas, please share them. I, <laughs> I'm so focused on my job and, uh, you know, uh, getting the job done uh, that I'm going to be working full out right up until uh, a new premier takes uh, charge uh, in, in October. And um, it is my intention to uh, continue to represent my constituents, uh, at least for a period of time after that. Um, but uh, at some point, I'm going to want to have a, a, a period to decompress. This is a pretty high-pressure job, and I was 
under a lot of high-pressure jobs in Prime Minister Harper's government as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not going anywhere. People come up to me all the time and they say, I'm so sorry to see, uh, you know, I, we're going to miss you. I'm saying, look, I'm, I, I don't have a terminal disease here. I'm, I'm going to be around and involved as a proud Albertan. And there are a lot of issues I'm passionate about, Justin, that I'm going to continue to work on. Uh, and uh, I'll just find the right way to do it. But I, I would, I wouldn't, you know, I'd like to do some reading, some writing, and and uh, maybe contribute to a policy policy debates through a think tank, um, while also hopefully getting some some opportunities to get back into the private sector. So we'll see. All right, let's go to back to the phones. Marianne calling from Calgary, large business. Go ahead, Marianne. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hi, Premier Kenny. I do have a, a question, but. Uh I'd like to preface that by saying uh, thank you very much for your hard work and self-sacrifice as our Premier and the um, strides that you've made in the sectors of education, health care, COVID, championing business here in Alberta, um, what you've done to help the oil and gas sector regarding things like Bill C-69, C-48, and, um, and thank goodness we have a government under you that does not have to be beholden to the unions. Now, my question for you is, um, with, after the de Havilland announcement, what, uh, what other um, significant business acquisitions um, are in store for Alberta? Well, first of all, thanks for your, your kind words, Marianne. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and I can tell you that... Um, uh, <laughs> We, there is a number of other projects that we continue to work on. I think we're going to have a couple more exciting announcements in my remaining uh, time in office. Um, one is possible, a, a huge announcement that could be a game changer in the aviation sector, uh, on which it would continue the momentum from the big de Havilland announcement. Uh, but, um, you know, the biggest projects that, and I don't think Albertans have really gotten the full big picture of this yet, uh, Marianne, is the what's happening and will happen in the area of petrochemicals and hydrogen connected to carbon sequestration. As I was mentioning at the top of the show, um, we are looking at, in those three areas, low-emitting petrochemicals, low-emitting hydrogen, and carbon sequestration, um, we are looking at between probably 80 and $100 billion of capital investment in the balance of this decade here in Alberta. Um, that will really be a massive game changer, guaranteed long-term demand for our, our natural gas as the feedstock for pet chems and hydrogen. And that means good paying uh, upstream exploration and production, drilling jobs, midstream pipeline jobs, service jobs for oil and gas across the province with a domestic demand, uh, applying our scientific smarts uh, to produce low-emitting products that the world needs. And so, um, you know, we've attracted, as I say, between pet chems and uh, hydrogen, about $30 billion of announcements already. And, and this is going to be really exciting to see that all of that take off. Phone lines. Carrie is calling from Calgary. Go ahead, Carrie. Uh, let, me, let me make sure I push the right button first. Uh, go ahead, Carrie, on with Premier Kenny. Oh, hi, Premier Kenny. Um, yeah, I would just be somebody that you would probably describe as an anti-vaxxer. Um, the vaccine mandates, when they were implemented by your government, turned my life upside down. I was almost kicked out of university. I almost lost my job. I was threatened with losing my job. My son was dropped from his program at state. Um, in retrospect, and now that you kind of see that some countries in, in Europe are banning the use of the, of the vaccine, 
because they recognize that the experimental drug has caused damage and health problems in younger people. Do you regret having important force mandates, or would you have done something differently? Um, well, Carrie, uh, first of all, no country in Europe is banning the vaccine. Uh, that's, yeah, Denmark is for people that's, under 30. Well, okay. Uh, th some countries may be recommending uh, uh, against use of, no, cer of certain, of certain vaccines they're for people at certain age groups. There we go. Premier Kenny, yeah. they're banning it for, all right. for people under 30. Some countries may be uh, uh, recommending against use of certain vaccines for people in certain age groups, um, but uh, no country is banning vaccines. Uh, the the, uh, the post-secondary institutions, you mentioned post-secondary institutions, uh, de developed their own policies, uh, which we conveyed, we thought went uh, too far. But um, the what you are calling vaccine mandates in Alberta, we had for a few months uh, a uh, policy where people were asked to either provide a proof of a negative test or proof of vaccination <clears throat> to do certain uh, higher risk discretionary activities like to go to big crowd events like to go to a, a hockey game uh, and that's because a year exactly one year ago uh, we were uh, more than 100 percent above our baseline capacity for our intensive care units in our hospitals we were within a couple of weeks of having to cut life support off certain people triage health care deny care to others have people basically uh uh, dying in the in the parking lot, we were we were we were close to having to ask relatives to care for their uh, uh, dying loved ones because we were running out of healthcare workers. So in that situation, by the way, at that time a year ago, ninety nine zero ninety percent of intensive care COVID patients in Alberta were unvaccinated, and so we we had to do something uh, to uh, slow transmission amongst the group in the population more likely to experience severe outcomes, including hospitalization. And uh, so there were only bad options. Um, and I'll tell you this, I think the, the, the real question for politicians should be, uh, what would the alternative have been? Um, Carrie, there's a lot of folks who I think share your perspective who say that we should have been like Florida. Well, Florida had a COVID death rate nearly four times higher per capita than Alberta. Uh, we we uh, so I would not. Uh, I, I think it would be grossly immoral and indefensible for us to have experienced over twenty thousand COVID deaths and to have had to completely shut down all other aspects of the healthcare system to deal with uh, COVID hospitalizations. So we can go back and we'll be able to to do a retrospective on all of these things. But the reality is, a year ago, ninety percent of our ICU patients with COVID. We're not vaccinated. We had to address that problem in that context at that time. All right. We're going to pause for a break. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier. Broadcast Saturday morning, this one, and next Saturday from 10 until 11 in Calgary on 770-CHQR and at Edmonton on 630-CHED. Just before the break, we had a call from uh, Kerry, who insisted that Denmark has banned the COVID-19 vaccines. All right. Uh, as a former news guy of some 40 years, there's a couple of credos that I used to live by. One was consider the source, and two... Follow the money. So let's uh, consider the source. Source Reuters fact check. Some social media users have shared an article with a misleading headline that claims Denmark has banned COVID-19 vaccine for children. It is true 
Denmark has decided not to offer a primary COVID-19 vaccine to kids aged between 5 and 17, but it has not introduced an outright ban. Uh, the uh, headline, Denmark bans COVID vaccine for children, has been widely shared on Twitter and Facebook. So once again, folks, check your facts. Uh, and and uh, wait, not, I've got a fact check from Associated Press here saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, social media users are misrepresenting changes to the Danish health authorities fall and winter vaccine program uh, as a ban. And, and by the way, I've gone to the actual website of the Danish health authority. It, it, anybody can look it up themselves. Uh, there's... There, <laughs> They're very proud of the fact that 84% of the Danish people are, are fully vaccinated. Sure. All right. We've got another health question, though. This one from Noreen in Calgary. Go ahead, Noreen. You're on with Premier Kenny. Good morning, Premier Kenny. Thank you for taking my uh, question. To have talked about your support for nurse practitioners in the past, and, and you have voiced your support. Um, we, however, continue to have uh, significant barriers um, with the health ministry. And I was just wondering if you were um, wondering how we would continue to work uh, with the health ministry to actually, uh, you know, bridge that gap that all Albertans are facing with access to primary care. Yes, well, thank you. Well, we, I, we've ex expanded the... Um, uh, scope of practice for nurse practitioners and other measures being taken to continue doing that. Um, and we think that um, the, the nurse practitioners can do a lot of things. There's some things in the past that were exclusively reserved to physicians, for example. Uh, and that's one way of increasing overall capacity. So I know the Minister of Health and his department are continuing to, to work on, on additional steps that can be taken in that regard. All right, let's take a text message here from Edmonton. Uh, Jay, uh, he says, uh, bring back health care premiums. Mm. Uh, the Klein government removed them, saying that oil is paying for everything now. That was almost 20 years ago. He says, I'm a transplant patient on H. I know how great Alberta's health care was doing. AHS is set up better than the previous Covenant Health program. You were going after health care really hard pre-COVID. That's why people aren't happy with you. And Shandro, you both brought on... Pulling the rug under health care feet, you did not have health care back. Uh, that's how it's written. That's how okay. I read it. Uh, well, but I he makes I, a good point you, about health care premiums. I can remember paying health care premiums. That's right. To be honest, it was just a tax by a different name. All right. And and everybody had to pay it. It was it was not connected to your usage or anything like that. It wasn't like a user fee. It was just a it was just a tax. And we, I guess we felt better paying it because it said healthcare on it. And, and you know, maybe that's, um, maybe that's a way of raising... Uh, here's an interesting point. When I do remember back in the 90s when we would get a, a quarterly bill, from not a bill, but a report from the government on how much our health care usage had cost. Do you remember that? Yes. And uh, maybe we should consider that because it raises people, at least it raises people's consciousness. You know, we've always had this problem. Sure. Uh, people going to emergency, for example, for a, a, a cold or a flu or, or minor ailments and not recognizing how extremely expensive hospital care is. Well, just go to the U.S. and do the same thing. You will get that itemized bill. Yeah. And, and I, I, cheap. I, I guess the, that broader point of raising consciousness about the cost might help uh, on the demand side a bit. All right. 
Let's go to Kim, uh, calling from Calgary. Uh, go ahead, Kim. You're on with Premier Kenny. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, why did you not appoint an official Premier alternative or designated to serve during your absences, either when first elected or during your term in an office? And had you done so, would that person now be completing your term? Well, I don't know what a premier designate is. Um, I'm on my job. How about a deputy premier? Well, you know, th th that it's not actually a formal part of our system. Usually that when that's been done, it's been done for, I guess, internal political or optical reasons. Um, but, uh, and I frankly think it just confuses people because nobody really knows what the role of a deputy premier is. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't, when you say my absences, like when I'm in Korea, for example, well, here's a good example. Uh, a week ago, last night, I stood in a queue in London to pay respects to our head of state of 70 years, uh, and I felt that was um, appropriate as her head of government in Alberta. I did so at my personal expense, uh, but I spent about five hours on nonstop back-to-back -back conference calls with people back here uh, in Alberta on a range of issues, including uh, some major investment uh, promotion files. So... Um, you know, being out of Alberta doesn't mean I'm off the job it, any more than when the Prime Minister of Canada or the President of the United States is abroad, that they, that they are somehow ceding their authority to someone else. So, you know, with modern telecommunications, it's very easy to carry on the job, be fully plugged in and responsive wherever uh, the Premier is. All right. Uh, on that same topic, uh, Kim, thanks for your call. Uh, John is calling in, and uh, I think we've pretty much addressed that, but John, go ahead. Yeah, uh, good morning, Mr. Pre uh, Kenny. Uh, yeah, I was a, a real supporter of yours back in the day. I met you at the Calgary Gun Show, and we had a good conversation. That being said, I want to follow up on the last point. Uh, to be in, in, the, in the light of many people's eyes, once you step down, there should have been some sort of interim uh, deputy premier take your place because a lot of people are commenting out in real man's world here of you weighing in on uh, on the on the debates of the new leader, and I think that's completely unethical. And not only in my eyes, many people I talk to, uh, for example, like I say, the old guard should be relegated in. Uh, to serving coffee to the front to, to, to the front row uh, after a new leader set up, but uh, I think it's completely unethical on your point and a lot of uh, on your part by weighing in on your preferences and your ideas when you've already stepped down per se. Uh, Many people are thinking that, and it's completely unacceptable in my view. Well, I hear exactly the opposite. Uh, everywhere oh, okay. I go, people are coming up to me, thanking me for my service, saying, th by the way, thanks for staying on, and could you please stay on permanently is what I hear from yeah. people. And John, if I could just interject as well, I have tried to get Premier Kenny several times since he's been on the show to commit to his support for any one candidate or another or any one position or another, and he has steadfastly refused, except for the general comment regarding uh, the sovereignty uh, position. Which is, which is, if you don't mind my saying, uh, John, that's a position I've been taking consistently for over a year. And, you know, I, like, as I've said to Wayne before, uh, the fact that there's a leadership election doesn't change my uh, lifetime view about the rule of law, about national unity, um, about... Uh, 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 my opposition to Alberta separation. So I'm, I'm not going to sh shut up because um, some people apparently support uh, certain ideas that I've always opposed. Uh, but uh, I'm not getting involved in the leadership campaign. And, more, and just, John, uh, I uh, did not resign. I expressed my intention to resign when a new leader was elected. And that's the conventional way that this is done. Um, 
that, uh, and I thought it was very important that we not create a vacuum for five months of leadership in the province with an interim government that would have no direct mandate. I, was, I have a mandate from over a million Albertans. Uh, I did win a majority of the vote in the UCP leadership review, not a large majority, but a majority is majority, and uh, have the confidence of the government caucus. So I've continued to do the job to implement our platform commitments for Albertans rather than creating a period of um, uncertainty. uncertainty and nothing getting done. Like, we, we, it's, it's a critically important time. And, and you know, if I were to, 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 to leave, you have a new premier, new ministers getting sworn in, getting briefed up, um, and then a new government coming in, you would go through six, seven months of uh, the Alberta government basically being virtually frozen. I don't think that would be in our, our best interest. All right. Mr. Kenny, we're going to be back for one more weekend show next Saturday before that leadership vote on October 6th. So uh, we will see you then. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. We will, once again, we'll do this next Saturday morning, same time. I'm Wayne Nelson, and you have been listening to Your Province, Your Premier. 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.